Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm Brandon David, your host. As always, great episode today. We have Sharif of Eden Enterprises, who's also the co-founder of Trees. Uh, Eden Enterprises is a dispensary that started in Hayward in 2003. Uh, since then, they've added cultivation, extraction, testing, and now they've rolled up all those entities and are raising a bunch of money to expand even further. Uh, he's also the co-founder of Trees, and we talk about how he balances his time there building two different companies and how how being a customer and a co-founder of Trees has uh, really made it such a perfect fit for his businesses and businesses like it. Uh, he also weighs in on current uh, California regulations and how those have been developed and why they've created a lot lower quality cannabis. Really interesting stuff there. I was talking to Marshall of Heffernan Insurance Brokers uh, this week about what to discuss on this episode, and he told me something super interesting, which is insurance policies for the cannabis industry are quite a bit different than other industries. In those hundreds of pages of fine print that you sign, uh, the terms are heavily in favor of that provider. What do I mean by that? I mean that most insurance policies, they protect everything about a business except what is specifically excluded. In cannabis policies, it's the opposite. Nothing is covered except what what is specifically included in the policy. This is a big difference that could have big consequences for your business. That's why you need Heffernan. Heffernan Insurance Brokers takes the time to understand its clients compared to those options available to them and get the most equitable policy possible for your business. You need this trusted advisor. Don't go it alone. Heffernan Insurance Brokers are here to help. Reach out directly to Marshall or Tanner today at IC at Hef ins.com that's ic at h-e-f-f-i-n-s.com to set up a time to talk it's totally free they're here to help guys thanks to heffernan for supporting independent media all right guys let's get back into the show with sharif of eden enterprise it's a great episode i learned a ton you're gonna learn a ton tune in listen up get acquainted sharif thanks so much for joining us uh Kind of a different episode. We've had John of Trees on, and now we're going to have you, the other co-founder, on. Uh, but you do so many other things, which is why this episode is going to be really interesting. You're also uh, with Eden Enterprises, so let's just start easy. What's Eden Enterprises? Okay, so Eden Enterprises is the parent corporation that we're rolling up all of our existing uh, California-based operations. So our original operation was a dispensary. Uh, Garden of Eden. It's been open since 2003. It's one of the longest running dispensaries in the country. Now, over the years, we've kind of gotten into other business activities. We got into cultivation, analytical work, um, manufacturing, and as time has gone on, you no longer need to compartmentalize all those businesses. It makes more sense to kind of roll them up physically and, uh, you know, digitally. So we're consolidating all these business entities and we're actually looking to go out and raise money um, for some growth capital and you know the vehicle we're doing it under is Eden Enterprises and uh, it you know it sits on top of all these business uh, units and we've moved all of the upper management from the various units into the parent mm -hmm. and you know just gaining efficiency and running the business like a you know true corporation should be run got it yep. yeah so I think the first question that comes to mind is, how do you balance your time? I mean, sort of building two companies at the same time, and Eden is like a conglomerate with a lot of stuff going on under it. How do you balance your time? Well, I mean, to answer that question, you've got to have to understand the story of, of how Trees came about. So I, I 
had begun running the day-to-day -day operations at Garden of Eden, and I wanted to get out into the world and you know expand the business and grow the business, and that meant that I couldn't be there micromanaging. And this is at a time when you know I'm running a high-volume dispensary. There's a lot of you know risk of shrinkage. There's a lot of you know theft, money theft, and just issues, inventory. So I wanted to replace myself in being in the business. So Trees was birthed out of my desire to get out of there. I didn't want to be there counting mm -hmm. cash or making sure that people aren't stealing money at the end of the night. So we built up this system that you know, ran our business, allowed us to you know, operate remotely, not have to be there every day. Um, turned out to be you know, a, a huge success and it was widely accepted across the state. Uh, but it was a project that was an offshoot from Eden, essentially. You know, it spun off. Uh, we weren't interested in combining plant touching and non-plant touching uh, businesses. So it's became its own monster, but um, you know, the, the strategy at Eden has always been a very long play. Um, this is something I've been working on for you know, more than a decade. And you know, that's still you know, where my heart is. And, you know, and we'll continue to balance the time as best as possible. Um, sometimes Trees has taken 90% of my time. Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes Eden needs 90% of my time. I'd like to say I'm 50-50, but mm -hmm. that is definitely a, uh, you know, an up and a down, just depending on uh, where I'm needed. And as, you know, as Trees uh, was able to raise funds and complete a Series A, we were able to bring in some of the talents that, so I could have less responsibilities in the day-to-day -day and uh, looking to do the same with Eden. You know, if it was uh, up to me, I'd just be out there you know, working on business development and strategy for both companies in, instead of being you know, involved in the day-to-day -day operations at Eden. Got it. Take me back to when you're developing the first product for Eden, just to save you time and automate stuff. When does it click for you that like, hey, this should be a separate product and a lot of people could use this? Is that early on? Or? Yeah, yeah, so <coughs> how it happened. Um, I have, a, John and I had a, had a mutual friend um, and he had a restaurant of super high volume. We'd been, uh, he had been looking for a point of sale to help you know, run his business and you know, bring him into the you know, modern era of commerce. And I was trying to do the same. Uh, you know, we were, we'd go out to eat lunch together and we'd both jump behind the counter and we'd like, you know, play with people's point of sales and ask questions and you know, we're always trying to find something better. And he found John first. And John basically built a system. Uh, John's old company was into uh, you know, hospitality, retail environments, restaurants, point of sales for that space. So he built a system that helped uh, our mutual friend and he described him as like the most amazing, you know, yes man in the best kind of way ever. So uh, John and I uh, had played phone tag for a few months. Eventually John pins me down, we meet at Starbucks. He's the most persistent person in the world. I don't uh -huh. know if you guys caught that uh, when, you, when you talk to him. <laughs> but uh, we meet at Starbucks. We have a, like about a 45 minute long conversation about the needs uh, and we're just talking cashier replacement, point of sale yeah. at this point. And he's like, okay, got it. Um, we meet up about you know, a, a month later and he shows up with a terminal and that's like trees, you know, pre-alpha, plugs wow. it in, we start playing with it. I'm like, change this, 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 and this, and this. And 
he comes back the next time we meet at the dispensary we you know do a side by side and you know it was only a, few, a matter of days before we converted the, you know uh, off of QuickBooks point of sale and onto this alpha version of trees and pretty quickly I realized that I have this like slew of problems and John has these slew of solutions <laughs> and he's just the man so it was just like one thing after another we're like all right point of sale, inventory, you know, front of house management, check-in, verification, compliance, like would you, just one after another, after another, after another, we, without even ever thinking that other people sh should use this software. Because mm. we had already done some, you know, very, you know, caveman style development using like Microsoft Access to manage our patients. We were always trying to utilize tools yeah. to, to streamline the business. And um, <coughs> we're, we, are basically a year, maybe two years into using the software, and you know the big bad wolf, the IRS comes in and they want to you know want to audit us. So I am at Henry Wykowski's office. He's like a guy who wrote the book on you know uh, tax law and cannabis, yeah. and I just give him the logins for trees. It's not even called trees at this point. I just give him the logins and. He comes back to me, you know, hours later, like, like what is this? Like, wh wh like, why don't you tell me about this? Like, he's like, all of my customers are, you know, between a rock and a hard place and need something that works. You know, he didn't know this, but everything that had been out in the marketplace at the time was just designed to work for metric. It had been from Colorado where they built these systems that followed metrics data model, which was unusable mm -hmm. for the most part. Mm -hmm. So nobody in California, in the absence of a state tracking system, was trying to adopt those, you know, Colorado-centric point of sales. He's like, you got to license this, you got to sell this, this is big, we can, you know, do something with this. Same thing happens with the accountant, Hank Levy, who kind of works hand-in-hand -hand with Henry, um, who's also, you know, the guy essentially wrote the book on cannabis accounting. Uh, tells me the same thing, like, what is this, we need this, this is amazing, blah, 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 because I, you know, it was built to help run a California-style business. In California, we had, you know, we were loosely able to, you know, package our own flour and label our own products, like all the things that people were doing in California at the time, the system, you know, was built to, to accomplish. And I'm just like, no way. No way. Like, this is our secret sauce. I'm not giving this up. Like, you guys are crazy. Like, this is what differentiates us. This, that, this. Of course, John is the most persistent person in the world. I didn't really have a say in it. You know, there was, there was he wasn't taking no for an answer. John right? was thinking about this the whole time. Obviously. I mean, John's just like, yeah. he, he's, he's knocking on doors. He's going to dispensaries. He's like, there's a demand. He's like, I, the, the market's there. It's right here. It's in San Jose. It's like right 10, 10 feet from us. Like, they, you know, the, the clients that want this are right here. And uh, eventually, you know, uh, we come to an agreement and, you know, it was a, you know, a, a partnership between his previous entity and uh, myself and Sufian, who's the founder of Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. um, decided to call it Trees and the, the kind of the rest has been history. Yeah, yeah. that's a great story and yeah. so authentic, right? That's yeah. how the best products are made. Like yeah. you just had these needs, like you just needed that stuff. And, and, and our needs evolve, yeah. right? And as we've been lucky enough to engage with a lot of the best operators in the state of California, which I believe are the best operators in the world, the, the idea of what the needs of the software 
uh, what the needs of the operators are has evolved. And now we're, you know, instead of just solving, you know, ground level problems, we're trying to engage in modernizing commerce. You know, when you walk into the Nike store, you walk into the Apple store, you're not walking, you're not standing in line and paying at a cashier anymore. You want to, you know, modernize the retail experience and that takes tech and that, those are the kind of tools that we're building and that's the stuff that gets me excited. Mm -hmm. I have to admit I'm not like excited when it's time to revamp a sales report. You know, <laughs> I want, you know, iOS and Android functionality across the board. I want you to be able to, you know, upsell yourself at the point of sale when mm -hmm. there's a, you know, front facing display, not just tell you what's in your cart, right? There's all this ideas and I want to connect to low frequency Bluetooth. So, you know, when you walk in the door with a XYZ vaporizer, uh, you know, I know what you bought and I know how to, you know, deliver uh, some more value to the operator. So we've, I've been given a platform to innovate and it's like a dream come true for me. I, you know, this is like all the things that I've, all the things that I've, all my experiences in life have like led to being able to apply my knowledge from my left hand directly to the right hand and then take it out to the market and see it being used. And it's really fulfilling. I mean, I've never been happier in my life being in this position. That's super cool. Um, you don't often hear that from founders, yeah. that they're currently in their best life because yeah. it's treacherous and stressful and um, cool. Let's, let's get into Eden a little bit more, sort of break down the different parts of it, if you would, um, and sort of Maybe talk sure. about the future a little bit. You know, sure, I'll just uh, kind of go by uh, project. So we we have uh, our Garden of Eden Hayward. Um, it's you know easily one of the top ten dispensaries in, in uh, the state of California. Pretty high volume. Uh, it's just completed a remodel. It's beautiful. We got a uh, a designer, uh, Larissa Sand from Sand Studios in San Francisco. You'd recognize her work. It's all over the city and kind of really iconic pieces. Uh -huh. um, she knocked it out of the park. Um, I'm really happy with the design aesthetic and that's something that we're just going to continue to amplify uh, and, and uh, reproduce at these new locations. So started at, you know, Garden of Eden, Ground Zero, um, that's 15 years in the making. We are expanding our retail footprint into Sanol, which is just uh, outside of Fremont, in between Fremont and Pleasanton. Okay. Uh, so to kind of tap into that Southern Alameda County uh, market. and that's going to be a micro business so we're doing something cool we're going to have like on-site cultivation in a greenhouse you'll be able to see the, the active cultivation from the retail floor cool. you know uh, applying a lot of these modern kind of commerce technologies that we're, we're describing you know trying to get as many tickets uh, completed in a day as possible and that doesn't happen with a line uh, and we've also uh, acquired I'd say like the crown jewel of permits in, in California. So we're the only retailer uh, in Union City. So Union City is also in Southern Alameda County. And we've been given uh, a cultivation license, so 30,000 square feet of cultivation spread across multiple licenses, including nursery processing, type seven volatile manufacturing, um, distribution and retail all in one building with a left to right, you know, cultivation, processing, distribution to retail flow that wow. you, you know, you, you don't see too much. Uh, it's a really well thought out facility. True the vertical integration. True vertical there. integration. Yeah. And that'll become the hub of our business. That'll become the heart of our business. We're going to run kind of a hub and spoke model with the other retails. And 
we're bringing out all the all the stops for that facility. Uh, you're going to see, you know, our, uh, our retail environment's going to have all the kiosks that you know we're showcasing at MJ Biz with trees. Uh, we're doing educational interactive sites. We are doing decentralized point of sale like the Apple Store. I mean, I, I have every intention of pushing the bar there. You know, the place is designed for high volume and has almost 80 parking spots. So uh, I'm excited to see how that rolls out. We have some, uh, some additional cultivation and manufacturing facilities, commercial kitchen spread out with, you know, associated licenses, a few more projects. And that's kind of the collective of what we're raising money to do is build out a lot of these uh, projects. And, you, and all these are active state and local permit in hand. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's an exciting time. You know, a lot of people are uh, planting flags wherever they can get a license. One in, you know, a license in Humble and a license in, you know, Los Angeles. That's not really our game. We want to build a uh, supply-side infrastructure that can actually distribute and run these businesses as a well-oiled single unit and only grow as our capacity to supply and distribute, you know, internally uh, allows. But we've done a pretty good job of, uh, you know, owning our own shelf. We produce all, we only sell our own vaporizers. Uh, we have our in-house brands, Honeycomb Farm. We're about to launch some new product lines. We want to get to be like Apple. I want to sell 70 or 80% of our own products. Mm -hmm. We've gotten as high as 50%, um, and I think that we can continue pushing in that direction. Let's talk about some of the products. Like, what makes a quality flower today? What makes a quality vape? Like when you think about that. Okay, well, in my opinion, uh, regulation has brought a huge drop in quality. There has been an increase in safety and mm -hmm. cleanliness, and um, but the quality of flower has you know dropped dr dramatically, and that's just because. To operate in this new state regulated system, uh, you have to operate at scale. And to operate at scale, the kind of boutique practices that produce that super high quality flower, indoor, organic, soil grown, lamp grown, sometimes not even double ended lamp grown, um, that, those don't make sense. Mm -hmm. you, you know, the, they don't add up uh, when it comes down to crunch the numbers on a boutique grow, it just doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. So what you've seen is a trend towards hydroponics, large-scale production, machine trimming. And then you see over, uh, you know, over-fulfillment of orders with no home to go to, so product is sitting in jars, people are using nitrogen, you know, all these kind of practices that enable scale degrade quality. Mm -hmm. So what makes a good product? Um, in today's market, or what makes a good brand in today's market, can, can you fulfill on time? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Are your products counted properly? You know, we haven't, we're not operating in a mature market yet. Mm -hmm. You know, we're still applying like a three strikes rule. Like if you can't get your manifest right, you're not in compliance, your labels are off. Like I don't want to do business with you. Yep. You know, go sell that to somebody else because I'm not going to jeopardize my license because you're not able to run a good enough business. Mm -hmm. So. We're in a, you know, we're in, a, we're in a genesis moment in the California industry. A lot of people are falling out of the space. Um, you know, some, I'm waiting for the cream to rise to the top. I don't know that it's there yet. We've never wanted to be long on cultivation, but I think we're being forced into it so that we can control some of the quality. When you have the, you know, full vertical, you're able to, you know, employ some of those boutique practices. 
when quality is our, you know, North Star and not profit, we're able to bring back what has been our DNA for years and what has had us, you know, winning, you know, best flower selection and what brings other dispensary owners to shop at our store and, you know, I think that's something we've been known for. And, you know, that's, that's a, you know, that's where flower is trending to, but we've been vaporizing for a long, long time. So my brother, who's a scientist, a biochemist, he, he had convinced us in 2011, let's buy a GC, let's buy a gas a chromatography machine so that we can analyze potency. Little did we know that side project was going to turn into, you know, a huge capital in, in investment and a full-fledged analytical laboratory. We've since lost our ability to do third-party testing, but we still keep that equipment in-house and do R&D. But that's just led us to producing super high-quality fluids. So our refinement process is amazing and our ability to manufacture goods is, you know, second to none. I Pepsi challenge our vaporizers with anybody. Mm -hmm. And that's not just the fluid and what's inside. Uh, that also goes to the design, that goes to the function. You know, the whole experience. The whole yeah. experience. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, it's a lot of what makes us, you know, different at Eden is just the experience. When you've been doing this for so long, when you've started making vapes, you know, when you've been to Shenzhen, when you've thrown out, you know, thousand carts because they were, weren't good enough and you were getting too many returns, when you've done all this once, it better, you know, uh, empowers you to be able to be successful in a tightly regulated market where margins have shrunk. So because you've been doing it for so long, when new people come into the space, when they're looking for a new vape, how do you educate them on all that experience and the quality? I love the Pepsi challenge. <coughs> how do you make sure new people know that? Well, first, get like the 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 war for mark for market share is one in the bud tender's mind. So educate the bud tender as much as possible. Win the bud tender's heart. Buy them food. Give them give them what they want. Give them swag. Give them you know product. Give them do whatever you can. We do a huge amount of training with our internal staff at Garner Eden so that they're very well educated on the products that we sell and especially well educated on the products that we're manufacturing. But it's still, when we go to sell to a, another dispensary, an outside dispensary, there, you, it's not a question of whether they'll allow us to, it's when. When can we get in there? When can we talk to, you, to your staff? When can we educate them about why we're different? When can I show you? When can I have you try it? I want the feedback because it goes back to the Pepsi challenge. Whatever they have in their pocket today is not as good as what we're about to show them. Mm. And once you open their mind to that, changes the, the dynamic and instead of selling something you don't believe in, they're actually selling something to the customer that mm. they think is the best. And that's where quality, quality always wins. You, you, you know, you could replace quality with marketing and all this kind of you know fluff that can go on top of it, and that's that's good and well. But you know, quality and word of mouth, that's that's the that's the real thing, mm -hmm. like, and you've seen marketing trend back towards that. They see that word of mouth is the most valuable form of marketing. So this whole new economy around influencers and paying people to create organic marketing organic is going yeah. back to that exact concept. 
if you have people talking about your product because they believe in it, you know, you'll, you'll win their minds and, you know, you don't have to pay people to fake it if you've actually, yeah, you if know, they really like it. Yeah. And, and who's the expert when you're a customer going to buy? It's the bud tender. So mm -hmm. if you can figure out, and I don't even know if they want to be called these days. Everyone has a different name for them. We've traditionally called them bud tenders. I yeah. think that be, that's quickly becoming a faux pas. But yeah, you know that. that what is, should we be calling them? What's the better? I, I don't know. Cashiers. Cashiers. Yeah. I mean, I, they, I've heard canisters. Canisters. You know, customer service representatives. Yeah, yeah I've, I've I've heard it all. Um, bud tender worked for me. Yeah. So even if you have great quality and marketing branding, you've got to get it in front of people. Mm -hmm. How have you guys tackled distribution? It's one of the most interesting parts of the industry, I think, today. Well, we've, as we've grown and as we've kind of, some of the facilities I talked to you about, there are multiple manufacturing facilities and they kind of get progressively larger as the projects go on. Um, we've always had more demand than we've had supply. We've essentially limited the availability of our products to marquee accounts, to harborsides of the world and the airfield supplies of the world. You know, I'm not selling this product to, you know, Joe Schmo's delivery service who has, you know, uh, a Weed Maps website. We want to sell to powerhouses, the people that are going to be doing the consolidation, the people that are going to grow, the brands that are going to win. Like, I don't need brand alignment with somebody who doesn't add value. Mm -hmm. When we're operating at the scale that we're at today, you know, it's all about the representation of the brand. You're not going to be able to grow your brand on the back of, you know, delivery service, fly-by-night delivery service. So we've been very curated, and I, you know, took that piece of advice from uh, a very wise uh, sales specialist. You know, the guy who was responsible for the growth of SC Labs and the growth of, you know, uh, RVR distribution. He mm -hmm. told me, get, 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 go get 10 accounts, marquees, and do everything that you can to make them happy. It's like the rest will work itself out. Mm -hmm. And he's absolutely right. We've been able to, when we had additional supply, we've been able to turn the faucet on and sell to, you know, the tier two and three dispensaries pretty easily. And, you know, we've had our honeycomb products in the doors of uh, up to 100 dispensaries before. You know, I guess people are having challenges. I don't know, we're system-based people. Like I don't, I, I don't really, conducting a new activity in the space isn't a huge obstacle. We'll go and find the person who's done it. I'll find somebody who's distributed, you know, alcohol or wine or beer to help us. Yeah. Like, you don't have to know how to do it yourself. You have to know that you need a system and you have to know how to find people that are better than you at doing it. And I don't need to tell them what to do, they need to tell me what to do. And it's, you know, pretty cut and dry that you building a team uh, is what your job is as a manager, yeah. right? Not not to flip, you know, a million different, you know, juggling balls in the air at once. And, you know, I know that's limited by capital, but kind of goes back to what I said earlier. As soon as capital came into the trees, I was able to, you know, delegate a lot of the tasks that I was, you know, dealing with. And, you know, I look forward to doing the same and growing the team and bringing, you know, on professionals. Totally. Give me a little prediction in terms of distribution. Do you think more brands will do it themselves? Do you think this like fulfillment only piece is going to win out, or do you think you know we take twenty percent, we do the sales, everything? What what side of it do you think is going to work? Uh, I don't know. I, I I can't call it. I I think that the way that the regulations rolled out and all the kind of backdoor deal making that that got us to this point where we have this mandatory distribution layer 
um, were, it's really unfortunate. You know, a lot of the brands were already self-distributing and, you know, the, the bigger brands that were more well-capitalized have moved to locations and continue to self-distribute. But you're seeing companies like Origin House, you know, basically a, a brand house buying up a big portfolio of brands and wanting to distribute them. And um, you're seeing other companies that are engaged in fulfillment only. And, you know, there's a million models out there. People keep trying to introduce tech into the space, but you have to combine tech with uh, plant-touching businesses. So it's like Blackbird, for instance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a little different model. I, I don't know which one's going to win out. Mm -hmm. I mean, I... I lobbied hard for virtual distribution where the distributor doesn't have to actually take possession of the product, mm -hmm. that the testing could have been done at the manufacturer or the cultivator, and you could have facilitated sales through a tech platform. Mm -hmm. We lobbied hard for that, and it didn't happen, mm -hmm. and that's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. So now we have this, like, a hiccup in the middle of the whole process. And for somebody who's interested in optimization and streamlining the process, they, they, they've really taken that out. And they've, they've forced, um, they forced the, you know, anybody who wants to engage in the, in the building systems to, to have to touch the plant and to basically put a ceiling on their, their potential. Mm -hmm. This is not something that you could just, you could build a platform and scale it across the state. You know, actually have to hold the product and perishable products or, you know, you need 10 distribution channels. and. There's a million people trying to solve it. And why do you think they ultimately decided to go that way? Is it easier to regulate? Well, I, my, what I think happened is CGA, California Growers Association, at the time, uh, I think they made a deal that would protect the small farmer. It would allow these small farmers to operate. I think the state didn't believe that the small farmer was going to be responsible enough to conduct the taxation and tax collection and tax payment. So under pressure from the Teamsters and, you know, the alcohol guys, the Southern Wine and Spirits guys who wanted the alcohol three-tier system and the Teamsters wanted to be able to drive the trucks and unionize the industry and all these kind of competing voices, there was a deal struck where there was going to be a, a middle layer and they were going to be the tax collector, not only from the cultivator, but from the retailer. So the, you know, the state liked that idea, one person to deal with for taxes, yeah. right? So we wound up in this system and then the cultivation, the canopy cap, the cultivation cap was removed. So the small farmers who had kind of made a deal to have this distributor so that they could continue to play in the system still got wiped out. Mm. And we're left with the distributors. So I, I don't know who won, but it sounds like a political game of chess that, uh, you know, was done behind closed doors. Mm. That's what it, you know, mm. that's my take. And when you say you lobbied hard, what does that mean? Going like, to SAC, spending money. Yeah. We hired, you know, getting active. We started a lobbying group called California Cannabis Operators League. You mm -hmm. know, we were active for some time. We hired uh, a lobbying firm that, you know, was uh, lobbying for Uber for, uh, you know, ride-sharing ride regulation and um, was going to Sacramento all the time. I, I remember I remember just being in SAC speaking. I, I was talking about this the other day. I, I, there was a hearing when they were talking about track and trace and the select, who they were going to select. And I went up there and I'm like, you, can't, you cannot bring in a company from like out of state. This is California. 
like this is a this is the hub of technology and innovation. Like we shouldn't bring in a company that's you know built on tracking luggage in airports and who was adopted by you know XYZ state and bring it here to California. Let the California industry, tech industry, innovate and come up with something better. There's a million ways that we could have done this. Yeah. AI, blockchain, you know, those are buzzwords, but th that's what you need. They're real, yeah. That, 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 that is the system that we needed. You know, I hear all these ideas of, hey, I'm gonna spray you know, DNA on a, on a plan and we're gonna collect it and that's gonna be track and trace. Like, we don't need to do any of that. We, have, we can make serial numbers. Like, why is that, why, is, why, why are we in this world where what has worked for every other industry doesn't apply here? Mm -hmm. Cannabis is no different. It could be regulated like alcohol. It could be regulated like pharmaceuticals. We don't need anything out of the ordinary. So I think that this kind of draconian system that we have um, looming, which I don't know when metric is actually going to launch or deploy. Um, you know, the, they could have been operating behind a shroud. July-ish, maybe. But, uh, I heard July last year. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start believing it when I see it. But, uh, you know, we were just trying to have a voice. You know, you, you can't complain about the meal if you didn't get in the kitchen. So, mm. you know, mm. we very, we're very active locally uh, in Alameda County. We're active uh, on the state level when necessary. I think now that things have settled, uh, Eden Enterprises will get back in the driver's seat and begin trying to change some policies, start with finding some alignments, other people who have similar interests. Uh, and try to you know nudge regulators one way or another, just depending mm -hmm. on you know the issues that we we hone in on. So I totally agree. The individual states have their own needs, and and they're different environments. And yet I see increasing amount of deals and decks that get sent to me, and people raising money for these multi-state operations. Um, What's the likelihood that they can succeed there? I mean, it seems so much harder to do in multiple states today. Well, so, you know, everyone understands there's um, no interstate commerce today. Yeah. And even if the federal government rescheduled medical cannabis, the federal government isn't going to just drop all of its policy around adult use or recreational cannabis. I don't think that anytime soon we're going to be allowed to grow cannabis in California and ship it to New York for somebody to walk in and consume in Five a, an years, adult. Ten years? Ten, ten years for ten adult years, use, I'd yeah. say. Yeah. Maybe medical in the next two years. Yeah. But that doesn't, I don't know that there's going to be a change in interstate commerce. So that being said, the uh, the there is no efficiencies of scale gained by having operations in different states. This is a flan uh, flag planting uh, exercise, and it's being executed very well by some of the bigger players. But there is a, a very low chance that these uh, MSOs execute and execute well. Now, if they're operating full vertical stacks and you know, there are various states. Yeah, they have the supply side, they can support it. And they're generally in very little, uh, little to no competition in the markets that they're entering on the East mm -hmm. Coast. So there is a chance, but I think that what you'll see in 2019 is the rise of the single state operator. You know, people that have dominated in a, in a, a market that they've built 
a supply uh, side of the business and they've been able to control all their distribution and you know they, they operate and do the things that uh, increase margin and I think that you'll see people like GPI just kind of went out to the Canadian markets uh, continue to be successful. I know of four or five companies in California that are powerhouses that are looking to raise whether they're doing RTO and IPO uh, across the border or they're just going staying private. Uh, I think that you'll see a lot of activity from single state powerhouses this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I see those powerhouses and then some of them talk about moving into new states. I mean like Oklahoma, for example, right? But Oklahoma is so small and I think like is California saturated? No. Have you won California? How does someone make that decision? To so, so, so Oklahoma gave out 800 retail permits. You know, if you for me, being involved with trees and having a kind of understanding of the landscape, you know, the, the, the per capita for a dispensary, the po population saturation, you know, uh, proximity to freeways, number of parking spots, these kind of all like uh, are, are quick me metrics that you can see what the potential of a dispensary is going to be. Oklahoma has got no chance to be big. <laughs> and if you see what happens in places like Washington, which are super low volume, or Oregon, which are super low volume, or Colorado, which are super low volume, Oklahoma is like that amplified. Yeah. They, they, these guys are gonna be doing 50 tickets a day. You can't run a retail business that's in a highly regulated market on 50 tickets a day. Mm -hmm. So whoever decided that there was gonna be 800 permits, they didn't take a tour of other states and see where they had failed. And you know that's super irresponsible uh, on, on, by the regulators to have issued so many. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, the other school of thought is, hey, let too many businesses come in, let's rake in the, 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 the fees and let them fail and there'll be a consolidation. But, you know, is that really the... Is that, Not responsible, like is that, you said. Is that a responsible policy? Yeah. Um, no, know, it's not. But, but California still in, I think, 50, more than 50% of the counties don't have cannabis policy. And there are whole areas that are underserved. Mm -hmm. And those people who are in conservative areas and cities that are in conservative areas and counties that are conservative, they're gonna be writing policy in the next year or two years. California is still on tap. Mm -hmm. You know, people for, people think that California is just an open marketplace, and there's a you know, so there's no way to you know build barriers. There's no moat to entry. Mm, wrong. There are huge parts of the state that are underserved, and when those licenses come up, they're going to be highly competitive, and you know we're going to be going after those licenses in, in underserved areas, mm -hmm. and we're well-run, well-polished, and ready to compete for those licenses. And I already know it's going to be the same group of titans of, of Cali that you're going to continue to see going after these uh, uh, application processes. And you'll, we'll be joined by the, you know, the, the bigger players from out of state. We'll be coming in and looking for those licenses. You know, Have a Heart uh, will we'll be there. You'll see GTI will be there. Mad Men will be there. You know, mm -hmm. this is going to get, um, it, it's going to get to be really competitive yeah. for, for these licenses that matter. When you're serving two dispensaries or serving 100,000 people, you know, you, you can do the math pretty easily uh, on, on, you know, what the, what the potential for those locations are. Absolutely. Yeah. Those, um, those underserved markets currently, one of the ways that's supposed to be combated is with delivery. 
Um, how do you see the future of delivery? Is that going to become an equal part of this market to brick and mortar, or give us your prediction there? So, like the the whole con like convenience movement is really started in San Francisco, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I lived in San Francisco for a decade. You don't have to leave your house for anything. anything. I mean there's apps for things you can't even imagine and it works there you know you could build a network of delivery vehicles or fulfillment vehicles that operate in a fashion and that kind of ice cream model that's out in the field and um, it works does that work for rural counties does that work for suburban areas does that work in non-saturated areas my guess is no. Uh, I'm sure the, you know, board of directors at Ease would probably know, you know, what the tipping point of population saturation required for it to be a profitable exercise. Mm -hmm. But with the, with the changing regulations on the state level to bar profit sharing with tech platforms that are, you know, in direct contact with the consumer, the game is changing. The chessboard is shifting, and I don't know where the pieces are going to land. I know that the state is pushing to have delivery be associated with a brick and mortar. We have brick and mortars. We're going to be engaging in delivery. Mm -hmm. um, I think that you'll find companies like Ease will continue to pivot gracefully like they have and continue to be successful. So for anybody that thinks that uh, a state rule will, will stop those, uh, the momentum of companies like that, they're, yeah. they're mistaken. Um, companies like Ease or Uber don't get stifled by regulators. They pivot, change their model. Well, in fact, they've thrived in that chaos, right? Yes. Like that, yes. That's so, part of their business model. So, yeah. so you know, kudos to them, and I, I, I think that you'll continue to see that. Um, a lot of other Players are getting into the you know online ordering space, and I'm not sure how successful they're going to be. But I I think that a lot of the lobbying activity at the state level will be surrounding delivery. I've heard that there's going to be a movement to try to block um, delivery into counties that have uh, cannabis regulation or cannabis bans. Uh, San Francisco yesterday released a uh, an opinion written by their city attorney that says that they reject the state's idea that we lose uh, control over our ability to regulate cannabis deliveries into our city. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a big storm brewing on that front between local control and the dollars that the delivery companies are going to spend. Sure. So I've got my bag of popcorn. I hope everyone out there does too. <laughs> Uh, one of the other segments that I'm sure you're watching closely, everyone is talking about, is beverages, um, either on the THC side or the mm -hmm. CBD side. And just you have this wonderful sort of thirty thousand foot view of the industry. Mm -hmm. Do you think that people are going to be drinking their weed in the future? Is that something you believe in? I don't believe in it. I don't know if the beverage industry the alcohol industry is going to grab hold of the cannabis beverage industry and do what they've done um, to amplify these concepts, you know, take 
ideas and turn them into well-run CPG companies? I, I don't I don't know. I don't sell beverages at Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. I see that the data surrounding beverage sales, the, the for the most part, they're not worth the they're not worth the shelf space. Yeah, they're large, they're heavy, they have minimal amount of THC, and they're just now kind of becoming polished. Um, I don't know. We kind of have a joke about it, like with investors, like you know. Are you a are you a CBD hemp company? You know, are you a CBD beverage company? Like, thank you know, thank you very much. Like, we're not we're not interested. It's it's like a cliche. Hey, I'm gonna grow hemp. I'm gonna do CBD extraction and I'm gonna make a beverage. Like, everyone wants to make a beverage. Yeah. I don't know if people that want to. I don't know if people want to drink cannabis. I think that the alcohol companies are gonna hedge their bets that people are used to drinking and the people that are drinking Bud Lights. There's gonna be ten or twenty or thirty percent of them that are gonna switch over to drinking cannabis and they're gonna hedge their bets and they're probably wise, mm -hmm. right? But does that mean that the California market who's been exposed to cannabis for almost 20 years is gonna be drinking it? I don't know. Our, 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 I, we're betting the house on vaporizers. Mm -hmm. I think the cannabis uh, will continue to be ingested. Uh, I think people are used to combustibles rolls and pipes, bongs, joints, mm -hmm. and I think that just like we saw with cigarettes and transitioning into jewels, uh, I think that we'll see the same with cannabis, and I think that the vaporizer will reign supreme, and I think that when cannabis opens up in new markets, I think it'll come on the back of vaporizing. Mm. When Japan uh, has a cannabis program, I can, you know, I'd almost bet, bet the house that it's going to be you know, yeah, if you look at the ICO success that they've had there with the tobacco, the new vape tobacco yeah. in Japan has been incredible. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it's very accessible and very efficient. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the future of, of vaping a little bit. I mean, the, the 510 has been super successful, mm -hmm. but you see what PAX has done. Mm -hmm. um, there's other players out mm -hmm. there with sort of different form factors. How long do you think that 510 is going to live, and do we, do we need something better than that? I mean... I almost feel like the 510 is going to be the double A battery. It's like the double A of, of cannabis vaporizing. Okay. I don't know that it's going anywhere. You know, when you see in industry leaders like Ken Descent release a 510 thread, yep. right? That's that's kind of that helps set the tone that it's going to be around. Our flagship product is a 510 thread. Mm -hmm. We filled packs before. You know, packs. The 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 benefit of being a packs of PAX filler uh, isn't there yet. That's a long play. You know, companies like G-Pen, um, they're also working to build their ecosystem. I don't know that the 510 is going away overnight. Now, I think that there will be a, uh, a reinvention of the cartridge pod system that will have another kind of universal uh, undertone. Mm -hmm. So it may not be 510 thread, but there will be something that's universal that everybody could take part in. And I think that you'll see the introduction of technology associated with it, whether it's, you know, uh, dosage, you know, readings, how much you've used, mm -hmm. how many hits have you taken, how much battery is left, touch screens. There will be an introduction of tech. 
you know, we're still working. The 510 is the, the StarTech flip phone. Mm -hmm. We're going towards an iPhone of vaporizers. How long is it going to take to get there? I don't know. But I'm, I want more out of it. Mm. I don't want just a button. Mm -hmm. I want to know what, you know what's going on, where I can buy more. Can I do X, Y, Z from the phone? And I think that as technology increases, technology advances, you'll see somebody introduce that type of tech. Very interesting. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit, talk about you, sort of you, the person behind all this, all this business. Um, how has your relationship with cannabis changed? What, maybe tell me like about your first experience of the cannabis, like how you got into it. Why, why does this make sense for well, you? I couldn't tell you about the first experience in cannabis, <laughs> but I can tell you that uh, I've had my medical recommendation since I was 19 and I've you know, frequented probably every dispensary in the Bay Area uh, at some point in time. And I learned a lot along the way, and I used to, you know, take part in cannabis consumption on the regular. I mean, at some point I had a pretty pretty heavy flower habit, you know, sometimes a quarter ounce a day. Um, I probably use cannabis two or three times a month now, and I use it uh, when I need it. I use it, I wouldn't quite call it medicinally, but if I'm stressed or I need to sleep, uh, I'll use you know, a vaporizer, I'll use gummies, smoke flour, much less a social smoker, social consumption than I used to be. Um, Why do you think that is? Um, I think that, you know, as I've gotten older, I, I tend to do everything in moderation, you know, um, maybe one day I'll smoke four or five joints, you know, with, with Sufian, with my partner. Um, maybe one day I'll have four or five drinks, you know, but I, I'd like to think that I, you know, keep a level head and stay as moderate as possible and mm -hmm. uh, try to be, you know, in control, be aware and present. So I think, you know, uh, overconsumption of any one uh, thing, it could be sugar, it could be fats, it could be anything, you know, we'll throw you out of balance. So. Work? Can you work too much? <laughs> you could definitely work too much. Do you work too much? Uh, I work too much, but I, if, I, if, if I am working too much, I will take a vacation. I like to travel. Um, I have no problem catching myself in being a, a you know, a bad boss and know that it's time for me to take a vacation. If I get too wound up, if I'm you know, e easily irritated, I know that I need to recenter. So I'll, Does yeah. someone else tell you that or you recognize no, it in yourself? No, um, no, I recognize it in myself. Got it. Yeah. Got I, I've, I've, uh, I'm mindful enough to know when it's happening and I, and I need the time to, to refocus and center. And uh, you know, as I've gotten older, I've gotten better about it. You know, being self-aware is very, very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you stay informed? Oh man, that's like that's like that's like job one for me, right? That, you know, I don't add value if I'm not informed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I spend time, you know, on on the internet, all the different sources that I have digitally. I go to conventions, I go to dispensaries, I go to operators, I go to farms. I talk with other people that are running companies in the space, I'm, you know, I'm 
have a group of friends who are, you know, the brain trust of compliance and regulation, and I engage with them, and I, you know, try to sponge up as much information as possible, and then be the conduit to pass it on. You know, um, trees is, you know, uh, trees in a, in a unique situation because we want to be the best operator at Garden of Eden, at Eden Enterprises. We have this whole suite of people that we engage with that I get to learn from, sponge their information to keep our business running uh, at the top of compliance and efficiency. Mm -hmm. And I get to pass on all that information to Tree. So a lot of the trickle-down effect has helped you know, operators. Mm. You know, and because of Trees, because I can pick up the phone and call the CDTFA or call the BCC and get direct info, that also helps Eden. So I'm in this unique position where, you know, both companies, uh, you know, benefit from, you know, the, you know, cross. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. And that's part of your value, right? You're sort of like this connector here. Like, if, there would be no trees without you, in a lot, in a lot of ways. I think. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't. I wouldn't want to take credit. A, a lot of, a lot of the processes that we digitized were from the founder, Garden of Eden, Sufian. So he was, he had all these amazing ways of running the business. And then, you know, he was doing it on pen and paper. I took it to like spreadsheets. And then when I met John, I'm like, oh, like, let's get this off spreadsheets and build it in automated, you know, tools that everybody could use. So yeah, the uh, experience has trans transformed into something that helps everybody. So mm -hmm. we, we're getting to spread our knowledge and it's, you know, it's really rewarding. You have such a rich history in this industry, I think more than most people that are in it today. Most people are more newcomers than you are. How do you feel today about how everything has come together? I mean, did it happen faster, slower than you expected? Like, what, what's your opinion on kind of current state of cannabis, I suppose? It happened, it happened exactly how it should have. Right, it's, there's gonna be regulation, there's gonna be commotion, there's gonna be friction. I didn't see the Canadian impact coming. Yeah, me neither. You know, if wow. you, uh, and that's changed the dynamic yeah. so much. But I think over time, I think that you'll, uh, you'll reach equilibrium. And I think that equilibrium is, you know, as money and you know operators and these you know big powerhouses come travel west to California I think that you know just like tech has tech and innovation all these things move east I think they're going to come here assimilate a lot of what we've done here for a long time and just take it back to the rest of the country you know California has been setting the tone the heritage is here the legacy is here like if anybody thinks that for one instant that people aren't going to be demanding California cannabis and California cannabis products across the globe you, you know you're, you're still sleeping yeah. or you're still living in an alternate universe yeah. uh, because you know this movement is built here in the bay and it's spread out and it went to Colorado and it went to Washington and it went to all these places and I think that you're going to continue to see the growth and explosion of California cult cannabis and California cannabis culture uh, across the country at, at a increasingly rapid pace. Awesome. This has been an excellent interview. Last question is how can our audience help you? Is Eden hiring for anything or it's your chance to plug whatever, whatever you'd like? 
Eden is constantly hiring, so we're filling in some of the C-suite as we've grown. Uh, we're looking for a, a CMO. We are uh, engaging in conversations uh, around uh, CEO. And if anybody wants to ask me anything, I, I love to talk cannabis, cannabis regulation, cannabis policy, whatever it may be, anything that's related to the, to the business uh, and the business of the plant. Uh, I'm happy to have a conversation. I'm pretty easy to find. Um, you know, we're out raising uh, a round of capital currently. If you're in the business of, uh, of investing in cannabis, you're probably aware that we're raising money and mm -hmm. out in the market, so mm -hmm. I don't need to pitch that too hard. Got it. Well, good stuff, Sharif. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us yeah, and thank sharing you. everything. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys.